Do you like the movie Fight Club, by the way? Love it, yes. <laughs> Tell me about it. Fight Club is such a good movie. Like, Collar Durden, the character, and just that movie in general, I think was too ahead of its time. And I feel that still few people don't really get the social undertone behind that movie. It's yeah. been a while since I've watched it, so I need to rewatch yeah. it, to be honest. So. <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. Look, thanks a lot, Lena for doing this with me. I got to, I think I connected with you like a few weeks back. And uh, after that, you know, when I looked at your profile, you're doing really exciting stuff in the NFT and Web3 marketing space in general. And you've got a very interesting background on how you got into the Web3 space. So what I would love for you to do is just quickly introduce yourself for the audience. And then we've got a bunch of questions that I think is going to get your personality out as well and what you're doing with your amazing agency uh, the strategy firm called zeitgeist so would love for you to just do a quick intro about yourself and then we'll get to the questions and answers which is the exciting stuff awesome yeah well thank you so much for having me shiv excited to be here i'm lena i'm the founder of zeitgeist we're a boutique strategy agency based out of new york fortunately over the last few years we've grown into a 10-person team and we're hoping to conquer that web3 gaming and entertainment sectors and yeah it's been pretty much a really amazing and rewarding process from beginning to end um, we've worked with some of the best brands in the world including nfl rivals mythical games dead mouse's pixel inks um, a big web3 gaming dad and a lot of other small NFT projects that I can so forth. So yeah, looking forward to today's discussion. That's awesome, Lena. So right off the bat, I mean, exciting journey on how you got into Web3 and definitely like NFL. I remember when I was doing my MBA at NYU and somebody who comes from Australia, NFL is not a big sport because we love rugby back in Australia and we call football, you know, football, what you guys call soccer over there. Uh, but when I came to New York, I was like, holy smoke. I thought NBA was big because, you know, all the athletes are big, but NFL is huge in U.S. So for you to get into getting the getting being able to work in the NFL NFT project, that would have been a big deal. How did that happen? Firstly? Yeah, I mean, so during NFT NYC, not too long ago, a few years back, I attended uh, the conference and met one of my mentors in real life. And after hitting it off, we just really had our values aligned, um, really saw a bright future ahead for the Web3 space. And he hired uh, the agency on to help support where we could across a variety of our offerings. So we helped support their NFT program slash launch, um, which is about six months before the actual mobile game went live. And it was a really amazing process because it's the first time we got to see you know a major league sports team um as well as like these many layers of um approvals and just from a boutique strategy level and so we were able to really put ourselves in the eyes of, and minds of sports connoisseurs and really just try to execute where we could across the board in the web through gaming sector and so forth so yeah that's amazing you work with big names and startups. Can you name a brand that you think is totally hitting the mark in the Web3 space? I mean, it goes without question right now that Nike is smashing it. Um, yeah. I, I recently put out a LinkedIn post saying, 
Like they're, they, they, if you're not first as Nike, you're last basically with them. If the only choice they have is to be the best in the world. And, um, it's amazing because the product that they're building around artifact uh, around dot swoosh around Airforia is this completely immersive metaverse that really just brings together not only their, you know, physical collectors in real life from, you know, um, sports fans to um, hype beasts to digital collectible um, people like myself in the space and it's really creating this immersive experience not like any other and what they're doing is they're creating all these different buckets at grand scale to really hone in on what they already have such as their air force ones launching their r force ones back in may to um, you know, collaborating with big ventures like EA Sports to release in many games to come. So I'm very bullish on that. I've been watching it on um, boots on the ground. So yeah, got it. What do you think about Adidas? Because I know that Adidas uh, came up big. You know, they had some partnerships with Board Ape Yacht Club as well, and like they came into that whole campaign about coming into metaverse big as well. So do you think Adidas is also doing well, or there are a few? pointers where you think they can do better? I mean, they're doing what they can. I think they experienced a major fallout a few years, now a few years back with the whole Kanye um, debacle, but um, they are trying their best, but it's not receiving the amount of accolades that obviously their competitor Nike has achieved. So until they achieve that and build quietly in stealth mode, I don't think they're at that level as of yet. Mm, got it, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now you worked at Meta. It's uh, one of the dream companies for many people to work at. And you started Zeitgeist then. That would have been a massive leap of faith. And look, kudos to you. That's a brave decision. What's the most brutal feedback that you received since starting your own venture, especially at a young age? Like I'm much older than you, but like you started this at such a young age. So what was the most brutal feedback that you received and how did you respond to it? Great question. I mean, in all honesty, like I never dreamed of Zeitgeist becoming what it was today. It started as a solopreneurship that has blossomed and evolved in a way that fortunately has helped a lot of people and a lot of brands across the world. And to answer your question, I mean, the most brutal feedback I've received is like every day. I mean, I came from fashion, which is a completely different space. And there's a lot of jaded people who are under paid and overworked and for that reason a, a lot of who you are and where you are in the scheme of it all is revolves around like what you own and personally speaking while i was in the space i always felt like a black sheep from the beginning um and moving into the crypto space it's a different type of um i guess target market because primarily it's a male dominant space yeah. and so there's not one isolated moment i think there's just like a, a lot of sexist comments that come about Around. not to me in particular but to just other women in the space like undervaluing yeah. our performance and really not yeah. um really not characterizing us in the best way and shape sure. possible and yeah. so being able to rise above and prove other people wrong is kind of just like what gives me great joy, to be honest, because at the end of the day, like all of us women are fighting like with each other, not fighting with each other, but like we want to work yeah. with each other to bring each other up and not tear each other down. And it's been really rewarding because that's what the Web3 ethos is all about on the versus fashion. So yeah, that's all like, thanks for opening up and sharing that with us just quickly. I mean, you have elaborated a little bit about it, but uh, why did you feel like a black sheep in the fashion industry? If you can go a layer deep to that, I, I, like, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, 
Where do I start? So I attended the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. It's one of the best in the world, um, a yeah. business school, and yeah. basically focused on commercial fashion. And during my experience yeah. there, I had a lot of different internships, about seven to be exact, um, during my three and a half year university venture. But I worked yeah. across social, I worked across PR, I worked in, as a fashion assistant for a project runway designer, like, and the list goes on. And I had the ability to work with some amazing fashion houses like Louis Vuitton and Christian Louboutin. Yeah. And why I felt like a black sheep was, I don't know, I just didn't, I was obsessed with what was happening on the runway. I was obsessed with what was happening from a sure. subculture perspective oh, and yeah. from a macro perspective and so forth. But like, I felt that working in PR specifically, it was more so about just like moving product. And mm -hmm. I, there's this whole ethical balance that I was trying to combat internally because obviously fashion is one of the third most like waste industries in the world i mean sure. social media has transformed that completely um and now everyone is buying you know fashion items from amazon from shein from forever 21 yeah. from zara without question and then they throw it out and then it's just going into the garbage and it can't um and it's not going to recycle for the next yeah. 200 years because that's not how these products are made because of the polyester yeah. within them so knowing that i was participating in that just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth and also just from a cultural perspective like I felt like I wanted to focus on, you know, bigger and grander ideas than just like dressing celebrities at the Met Gala or like helping sure. stylists for the cover shoots for like Vogue or Elle, et cetera. Right. So I hope that answers your question. No, that, that does. Uh, that does. That, that's been an interesting journey for you. Did you like, did you talk to your family or your close friends when you thought about moving out from fashion? I mean, since you, Basically, if you're joined Fashion Institute of Technology, you basically thought of a career in fashion. So when you transitioned away from it, what was their reaction like? I mean, honestly, they were very supportive. They, yeah. they, my parents are baby boomers or hippies. <laughs> And <laughs> they have always been very supportive of just like activities that I want to do, career choices yeah. I've wanted to make and so forth. And they're never like, you need to be a straight A student or be a doctor. They're always just Got like, it. do follow your dreams, like things will fall into place. And even if you're not mm -hmm. happy with your career, which fortunately I am, um, you know, it will it will pan out regardless mm -hmm. in ways that you at least anticipate. So it really has from that point of view. And yeah, it, um, it's been a great journey. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that with us. Now you're in the trenches with brands navigating Web3, like you work with a lot of brands nowadays. What's the most ridiculous misconception that you've heard from these brands about Web3 and NFTs? And how do you, being a CEO and founder of Zeitgeist, correct them? Um, are you saying from brands or from people? Because those from are two different. Or from brands, yeah. Um, I mean, in all honesty, I think something that's been a major conversation topic in the last few months is like, isn't the metaverse dead? And from a macro perspective, we've seen failures that have shifted the economy and shifted everything from a gargantuan tsunami point of view, such as Sam Bankman Freed with FTX, unfortunately, back in back last year. And then we also have um 
examples like Mark Zuckerberg not really hitting the mark with Meta. And he basically owns the term Meta, which, you know, from a media perspective, like was tied to the metaverse and people ultimately viewed that as the end all be all. So since the whole dynamic of everything has shifted into AI and, you know, VC, VC firms and companies are shifting their entire game plans and roadmaps around that, it's been a really interesting perspective. But in my point of view, like, I don't think, and I know that it's far from over in the next 10 years, it's going to be very fruitful. I mean, what we're seeing right now is technologies being built as wearables, anything from um, Humane's AI pin that is in development right now and to be released to Apple's um, headset that is going to tie in AR mechanisms to walking into a dressing room last week when I was literally just like, I was looking at, I was just like at a clothing store and in the dressing room and I see like, oh, scan this piece of clothing and you can see all the different ways you can wear it. And I was like, is this camera looking at me? Or I don't know, it's just weird. But like, nonetheless, <laughs> um, there's so many things that are being involved in our day-to-day yeah. um, experience that we don't see from a tangible, um, from a tangible way. But it's happening right in front of us. And even then, like the the gaming sector is crushing it. You have you have mm-hmm. platforms like Roblox, you have Minecraft, um, you have um, Fortnite. various, yeah, Fortnite, exactly, that are just like continuously crushing it and are yeah. focusing on invest their investments within the Web3 gaming sectors, which is by the way, like the most profitable or the most, yeah, the most profitable side of the space thus far. So. The future is bright ahead and I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah, I'm with you totally. Uh, I remember uh, posting a thesis, uh, which is around two years back, that eventually all gaming would be NFT driven. Because before that, people like very, a very less than 1% of people can make money out of gaming, which comprises of video game YouTubers or Twitch people or, you know, esports players. But now having that NFT layer to games, uh, you can actually find a way to monetize your time that you put into the games. And look, play to earn was a very short lived phenomena, but more token based gaming economies are being developed. And eventually we're going to see sustainable gaming economies that have got an NFT layer to it. So yeah, I'm with you. I see a bright future for games with NFT component to it. Now you've got big ideas about NFTs in loyalty programs and digital identities as well. You've often spoken about it. Can you give us a sneak peek into a project you're working on or you've heard of that would blow people's mind in the near future when it comes to NFT from a digital identity or loyalty program perspective? Yeah, so a client we're currently working with, who unfortunately I can't say their name because we have an NDA with them, um, is working on this community governance tool that is going to basically redefine how you participate within DAOs, within NFT communities and so forth. And it really just focuses on building building a gamified experience towards how much you contribute. So for example, these soulbound NFTs that are tied to your digital identity, which is another part of the space that's slowly blowing up, um, per, um, rewards your participation, not only in one community, but across communities. So for example, if you're participating in an MMORPG game and you want to level up your experience um, points, then you 
that will be tracked with your Skullbound NFT. And so it's still in the internal testing phases, but they basically have ties to a lot of Web3 gaming companies across the space that are going to utilize this. So you don't have people entering, you know, for example, Pudgy Penguins or yeah. let's say Bored, Ape, Bored Apes um, for to to just like have a seat at the table, express their opinion and so forth. Because a lot of the time this model hasn't worked over the last few years since sure. 2020. Yeah. 2021 because you know it really doesn't incentivize reward the people that participate the most and you want to reward your thousand true fans so for us we firmly believe in creating leaderboards amongst community stakeholders and really relying on community management as a tool to go from zero to not only a hundred but a thousand across a variety of ecosystems so once this governance tool gets blown up not only on the amongst the web3 gaming sector but across a variety of other verticals including just like mainstream companies i think there's a lot going to be a lot of utility with that so got it got it i'm so glad that you mentioned the soulbound tokens within this because i look at soulbound tokens from an academic level so far not many people have started implementing it especially within the gaming industry and I've got two friends that I want to give a shout out since you've mentioned Soulbound Tokens. I've got two friends based out of Sydney, and they run also a Web3 tokenomics uh, strategy agency based out of Sydney called Soulbiz. And they are very bullish on Soulbound Tokens, and their name is Joseph and Mitch. So eventually when they're going to hear this, I'm going to tell them you got to hear this one because you've got another Soulbound Tokens fan who is actually helping a brand implementing it. Uh, so, yeah, like they are big fans. Uh, but in Sydney down under. But yeah, I'm also bullish about the, you know, implementation of soulbound tokens in a variety of projects, especially around the digital identity part. Mm -hmm. Now, the metaverse is the next big thing and you're right in the thick of it. What's the most outlandish prediction you're willing to make about the metaverse? I mean, to be honest, I don't necessarily have an outlandish prediction because what's happening thus far by today's standards is already exceeding the expectation of, what, of what's already happened. So from my point of view, the metaverse is going to exist forever. I think we're, it's going to be rebranded. Obviously, the, the confusing jargon of what we're experiencing today isn't going to onboard millions, hundreds of millions, billions of people into the space. It's going to just be in our lives to enhance, enhance our experiences with the digital internet, to say, I guess. Um, but from that point of view, I mean, so what we're experiencing is right now is this digital overlay that's going to enhance our lives. So for example, a brand that I mentioned prior to was Humane, and they're focusing on this AI pin that's going to help people who are um, disadvantaged from, you know, maybe they're deaf or maybe they're blind and they, they, they pin it to their actual piece of clothing and it can help guide them. It can also help a lot of various health endeavors and especially with the Apple headset that's, you know, blowing up, has blown up in the right. last few weeks. Um, you know, it's we're some some are arguing that the, the the cell phone is going to be dead and we're going to rely on very simple mechanisms in, in, in the months to come, whether they're glasses, if you can fit them in a frame um, yeah. or a pin or, you know, your Apple Watch is kind of the beginning of it. But until you can like, you know, scan that on your wall and really activate that from like in front of you from, you know, a, I don't know, like a 10 by 10 point of view, like I think yeah. that's going to be 
exciting. And I mean, VR and AI are making waves, as I mentioned prior to this, but like integrating all of them while utilizing the fundamentals of blockchain technologies is going to kind of tie it all together. Because at the end of the day, I think the AI industry right now is focusing on obviously profit. Um, People are launching um, different products every week with their teams, Mm -hmm. whether we know it Mm -hmm. or not. And blockchain technologies are going to kind of bring it back and help mm-hmm. us you know tie our digital identities with them while while advocating for our privacy that we so fought for to begin with in the web3 um yeah. paradigm so just on that so you know google glasses came out and while it was a successful experiment it was a commercial failure then sony playstation came up with their own vr glasses and they were somewhat of a success but again it was a niche market it didn't hit the critical mass even among right. the gamer then we had oculus that got branded to meta quest pro which is i guess if not one tenth but significantly cheaper than the apple vision pro that has been advertised now if there is any company that can probably create a critical mass for vr spatial computing headsets like what apple vision pro is i mean apple has got all the balance sheet power and the you know history to back them that they can probably do it having said that $3,500 I think that's what they have advertised and I think uh, from what I've heard recently although there might be it might be a minor bump that they are having some manufacturing problems to you know manufacture it at a scale what is your personal take do you think that will be a success or is too early to say I mean on the topic of that so Apple has a history of launching products for a way higher price point than what we can afford to begin with. I mean, I remember when when iPhones went to market, I think they were a few grand and everyone was like, I'm not spending money on that. And now like an iPhone 5 is worth $100 at like a store in Chinatown. So to be honest, I think from what I understand, they are working on the price point. It's probably not going to be within the, it's probably going to be reduced down to, you know, 1500, 2K to $1,500 in the next few years. I don't think we're going to really see it prosper at the rate that, you know, all of us web three maxis are so excited for but i do think it's going to create this domino effect within a lot of tech companies because once they see apple has done it they're going to also try to mirror that and so forth similar to samsung and like you know all of their devices that they've released in comparison to the iphone so i think there's a lot of bright future ahead i mean apple hasn't done an amazing job at just building in stealth mode and not launching anything until it's ready to go to market and now we're seeing that um with threads um the new social platform that launched yesterday and mark zuckerberg strategically didn't launch that under facebook he launched it under or sorry under meta he launched it under um instagram Instagram, which obviously is a completely different target market it's focusing on millennials and gen zers kind of and i was on it a lot last night and it's just been blowing up in my feed so it's really interesting because in my opinion stealth mode for these major corporations has done a lot of justice if executed correctly so it's interesting you're talking about threads because yeah everybody is talking about it fair enough it's something that is novel so as a result people are talking about it and something that is coming up from meta and they they have been kind of like subdued for the last few years ever since 2021 like last year has been a very silent year for meta in comparison to other technology platforms so for them to come up uh, suddenly out of the blue for a lot of people that they've come up with threads it's a talking point having said that 
since you are using this, you're using Thread as well? I am, yes. Cut to six months later. Do you think it's going to be like Clubhouse where people are going to be like, you know, Twitter is good, or you think people are going to get onboarded to Threads more and more and stop using Instagram or reduce their usage of Twitter? I think we're seeing the reduction of Twitter usage from a daily as of today, to be honest. Um, I mean, even with Elon Musk not allowing people to access the data to max, I mean, creating a tweet maximum of how many tweets you can view to reduce spot usage, like that that has created a whirlwind of just like just spite from a user perspective. So I'm more so interested to see how this is going to affect Blue Sky. I mean, I know, for example, it's been just invite code. You can only get access through invite codes and I have it. So I've just been watching on the back end of like, okay, who's who's going to lead? Who's going to take TikTok's, you know, throne? Because sure. obviously the empire must fall historically. <laughs> it's historically, historically, that's just how it has been yeah. eventually. And I don't know if it's going to happen, you know, in the next year. But I mean, so for example, with Blue Sky, there's millions of people on the waiting list. But they've yeah. just held that back for the for the mm-hmm. plain reason that they want to keep it exclusive. But now that Threads is in the picture, it's creating this entire different paradigm of people that didn't get it accepted there. And now you have these competing social media platforms and there's only a, so much amount of time during the day. So I don't know, to be honest, I think that it has the potential to honestly beat Twitter. I do think mm-hmm. the recent appointment of the new CEO, I forgot her name, at Twitter is going to shift things because she came from NBC. Um, but at the end of the day, people don't really trust the media as much anymore. And yeah. um, subgroups and small communities are really where the attention economy is going and short tweets and threads is kind of what's pulling people forward and as well as short form video content. So I think it has huge potential because, you know, you have all the users from Instagram who don't rely on face meta to begin with. But at the end of the day, like people are still on Instagram every day. Like they, they don't care that Meta owns it. They still use it without question. All the shops are integrated. There's more businesses on it every day. Yeah. So look, let me tell you. So since last year, I've been in India as I'm teaching crypto in business schools in India. And uh, TikTok is banned in India. And Instagram is the number two most visited social media platform in the country so where all celebrities uh, from the indian film industry all the sporting uh, stars uh, from cricket and from other sports in india they all are on instagram so and businesses are there because of all these uh, celebrities being there so they don't care about their privacy i mean uh, <laughs> or the social media privacy uh, that cambridge analytica thing that happened a long time back i think people have already forgotten about it and it just showcases that people love convenience in this age of where web2 platforms are so big and that's why we are working on web3 and uh, hoping that web3 will take over some of this usage of social media platforms eventually uh, decentralized social just quickly on that there is lens protocol There are other uh, protocols as well that are trying to onboard people of Web2 social media platforms onto Web3 social media platforms. That hasn't, it hasn't moved an inch. What do you think needs to happen for decentralized social networks to really take off? To be honest, we have to drop again, going back to the confusion that has really, hasn't helped the space at large. We have to drop the confusing technology the confusing terminology. 
I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, people just care about, will it enhance my life? How is my, how is my day-to-day -day getting better yeah. from this one social platform? And I, I feel like as of right now, Lens is built for, you know, Web3 aficionados and people that are really bullish on tech as well as just like development and so forth. But that is such a small yeah. subset of the, Very small. the economy and people who aren't even like college educated, which is like most yeah. people from mo like most people across the world, to be honest. So mm -hmm. I, I think in order to do that, they just have to, they have to tie in these bite-sized elements with, with, of like, you know, utilizing graphics, short, um, short, I would say tweets, but they're not tweets, um, and so forth. And just kind of keeping the inflow of just conversation and an algorithm that makes sense because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, like, again, mass adoption doesn't happen when it's confusing to the average consumer. True. So true, true. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's a very good reply. Thanks. You mentioned something around empires eventually fall. So I'm going to ask you this question and then I'll ask you other questions. You've mentioned quite often in your social media post that you love proving people wrong. I thought that was, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> right? So who's the one person you're most satisfied to have proven wrong and why? It's a good question. To be honest, like, I think we as humans and individuals are as powerful as we we want ourselves to be and i'm a firm believer that the growth mindset is everything i mean back when i was in the fashion industry i had a very much fixed mindset where i was like this is my end all be all i'm going to be miserable for the rest of my life i'm never going to have a career and to be honest like i thought that was it um but more recently um i mean i'm sure you saw my entrepreneur article i had a discussion with someone who um was a bit older than me, maybe in their early 50s. Um, and I told him that my title, which was obviously CEO and founder at Zeitgeist, and he's like, are you a little too young to be a CEO? And I was like, what do you mean? And it kind of created this whirlwind of just like, I don't know, defense, like I went to full defense mode and it was the first time I ever received a comment like that because first and foremost, like a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in Silicon Valley today and some of the best companies in the world started their companies when they were way younger than me and I'm 27. So to be honest, like a comment like that is what pushes me to really want Zeitgeist to be the future, the best strategy agency in the world. So, I mean, fortunately I have a really amazing team. I really have a really amazing business partner slash co-founder. Her name is Victoria. And um, I wouldn't be able to do it without her and her, cause we're, she's like the yin to my yang and we work very, yeah. very synergistically. Um, so um, yeah. That comment definitely ramped up my my gears. Um, but at the end of the day, like a few years from now, when I look back, I'm just going to be like, you don't have to be a certain age to be anything you want. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, ego aside, like I still have a lot to learn. And I know that I'm very young compared to a lot of C-suite professionals. And I'm grateful for all the mentors and companies we've been able to work with thus far. And there's a bright future ahead for the Web3 and the metaverse regardless. So. Uh, look, I'll, I meet a lot of people. I speak with a lot of people within the startup space. And uh, when I saw what you had written, you seemed very interesting as an uh, individual and also as a uh, startup entrepreneur. So that's why I was like, you know, I have to have you on the <laughs> podcast. So I love your attitude towards it and more power to you. So now you've got a lot of young entrepreneurs looking up to you as well. And more so as more success Zeitgeist gets, they're gonna look up to you more. 
what's the one piece of advice you'd like to give them that they are not going to like they, they would not want to hear but they have to hear what's that one piece of advice i would say being a great leader if you want to start your own company or just have a successful career to be honest is holding yourself accountable um mm -hmm. i know my strengths and i participate in this test thanks to my old cmo boss a few years back called strength finder and basically it helps you hone in instead of focusing on the things that you're not great at you focus on your strengths and you elevate them to the mass i mean to the to the fullest so that test basically made me realize that i had a lot of different skills um, across the board i wasn't one i didn't fit into one bucket i kind of was scattered across all four so um the strategy between um influence between just being logical it made me realize that i wanted to set the standard for zeitgeist and hone in on what i was good at from a leadership perspective but also outsource where i wasn't that great and being yeah. accountable is key especially when you have your own company because like you set the tone and standard for everyone who works underneath you and fortunately we've built a really great team and we don't really have turnover because our whole company culture is all about radical transparency and if they if our um contractors think or employees think that we're not doing something right we ask them to you know inform us and vice versa not just you know top down so i think it's really important especially in today's economy and where everything's going from a community perspective to equally hear out not only clients but employees to really help elevate the brand because you're only as far you only go as far as the people you work with and if everyone's happy we're all happy so yes hold yourself accountable and hear people out every step of the way that's a good starting point for a lot of people who want to start off at. Uh, if you've got that right, others would eventually flow on and you'll be able to solve it. But I think these, this is a foundation interpersonal skills that is very important. So great advice. You have a bold prediction for Zeitgeist and you're very, you know, obviously like every entrepreneur would be for their own startup. You want this to be the best, accelerate at a good pace and be, if not the top, at least in top three soon. What's the headline of Zeitgeist going to be in five years from now? I would say meet the female founders behind Zeitgeist, the top strategy or Web3 strategy agency in the world. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. I love it in the world. That's more power to you. We'll see that happen. <laughs> so touch wood. We're probably going to invite you before five years again to see how that progress has happened. But yeah, in five years, the best Web3 strategy agency in the world. That's what we want Zeitgeist to be like. Now we're going to move to an interesting segment, which you probably are not prepared because I didn't send you that question. And this is what is called the rapid fire uh, segment. So I'm going to ask you like those rapid fire, you know, yes or no kind of questions. You can choose to pause, but I think it would be uh, more playful if you choose to answer and it needs to be quick okay okay so no pressure no pressure <laughs> uh rapid fire questions okay NFT or, nft or traditional art nft nft ai threat or opportunity sorry can you oh ai threat or opportunity um opportunity opportunity the most underrated brand in web3 cyber frogs cyber frogs are they one <laughs> of your clients they were yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I love them dearly. Um, I own 35 of their NFTs, so that's neither here nor there. Anyway. <laughs> one word to describe the metaverse. Open. Two words. Open. Love it. Love it. Agreed. The best advice you've ever received. Might need a pause on this. <laughs> I don't know what the best advice is. Um, I guess like don't give up. Like just keep keep going. Sure, caught it. Yeah, that that's good. Being persistent. Uh yeah, totally. Uh, the worst advice you've ever received. Give up. 
From who? I mean, <laughs> just like from the imposter syndrome in my head that happens occasionally. Oh, we all experience it. So. Yeah, we all experience that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The one thing you changed about your career path. I would love to pursue sustainability in some way or another, or become a yoga teacher down the road. I think that's my next chapter. So, got it.、Oh, cool. The one person in the industry you'd love to collaborate with? Um, Kathy Hackle. Yeah, I know. I know her. Cool. Cool. I, I'm not sure whether she's gonna. She's, I think, so a network connection. So I'll probably tag her. One prediction you're certain will come true. NFTs are here to stay. Absolutely. If you could delete one social media platform forever, which one would it be? And I hope you answer this question. You can choose not to, but I hope you answer. TikTok, one thousand percent. Really? Why?、Yeah. I think I think from a societal, I, I don't want to go on another rabbit hole, but like basically, like teenagers are spending ninety minutes a day on TikTok, and、yeah. for that reason, like we're experiencing a loneliness epidemic from a from、yeah. a grand level, and people don't know how to socialize anymore. And although they're learning a lot, and ADHD is becoming way of a bigger issue than it already is, which isn't a bad thing.、Um, yeah. Happiness is on the decline, and I think right now TikTok is taking the reign and turning youth culture into something that's beautiful because it's very informative, and we're we're. Seeing education being blasted from a macro perspective across the world, but it's also just taking away from people enjoying their lives and stepping outside and touching grass and so forth. So、yeah. I think that, to be honest, got it. Look, just quickly on that.、Uh, this is not a rapid fire question, but just quickly on that.、Uh, so, for example, like I told you,、uh, there is no TikTok in India, but still, there are a lot of kids or you know young young people of India. That are addicted to TikTok kind of features, and let's say in the form of Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts. What do you think? I've used TikTok in Australia or when I was in New York.、Uh, so, what do you think that there there is in TikTok that makes it so addictive in comparison to Instagram Reels or YouTube Shorts? What is it about TikTok that makes it so addictive? I think it's a randomized algorithm that's oriented towards your data and who you are. And obviously, there's been a huge battle in terms of the U.S. government with ByteDance,、yeah. who owns TikTok,、yeah. and the snackable content makes you turn, you know, of two minutes scroll into two, three hours. And I've had countless hours or countless evenings where my evenings have just been ruined because instead of the two minutes, it's turned to you know four hours of scrolling, and next、yeah. thing you know, it's one a.m. But That's why I've deleted TikTok off my phone now, like thirty plus times, and I only download it once a month, so I can just see like what's happening. Because for that reason, like I feel like I become like dumber when I participate in it. So that's why I don't have it on my phone at the moment. <laughs> Got it. I loved what you said. You've deleted it like thirty plus times, and then you've reinstalled it once a month just to see what's happening. <laughs> that is good. Cool. So at the moment it's deleted, but soon it'll be reinstalled just to see the pulse of the people. Yes, exactly.、Uh, no, and then I have like、more. a once a month like video where it's like, okay, here's what's been happening in my life, but I'm deleting it again right after because I can't participate anyway. <laughs> yeah, I like that strategy. I think that's a good strategy. Now, lastly, what's the most ridiculous NFT that you've ever been sold? The most ridiculous or anybody? Yeah. I mean. I haven't. Not that I've been. I've purchased it, but like, there's just really funny NFTs that have blown up, like MFers on ETH. Um, and then there's this other one that I'm blanking on that, like, shit fuck or something. Excuse my French. We don't have to include that, but like, um, there's. <laughs> 
Um, and it, it just like didn't necessarily like, and they're just like simple doodles, but they like went to like a crazy amount of ETH, for example. So I think that's just kind of where the whole culture of the market was in the last year, kind of just like play, play, playful, memeable and so forth. So got it. Uh, how was it? That is all the rapid fire questions that I had. So how, how did you feel? Honestly, I like that. I like that format a lot more than the podcast format, to be honest. So <laughs> cool, cool. Look, thanks a lot, Lena, for doing this. Uh, I appreciate you taking out the time. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or any other questions that you think that I should have asked that you would like to address? Honestly, no, you've covered a lot of really great, unique questions. So no, not at this time. That's awesome.